Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your health and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, we are going to discuss the six steps to de-stress and find peace with Kaylee Pease. Kaylee is a positive psychology and wellness coach who helps busy, stressed out individuals in New York find peace through mindful meditation. She works with large corporate companies in order to help their staff de-stress and be much more productive. We also discuss in this episode how stress plays a huge role in your overall health and that in fact it can actually change gene expression and cause a disease within your body. Welcome to the show, Kaylee. How are you doing today? I'm good, Dr. Nick. Uh, trying to stay warm here in New York City. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of cold coming across the country right now. Um, go ahead and tell our listeners what you do. Yeah, so I'm a positive psychology and wellness coach in private practice, and I see a lot of busy, stressed out New Yorkers um, who are really run the gamut in the professional domains of lawyers and finance and marketing and advertising. And and then I also teach mindfulness meditation at Mount Sinai Hospital and in other corporate settings and um, also teach yoga. So I I get to wear a lot of hats. (laughs) Okay. So I think you're in a really good place when it comes to having the discussion of stress. Am I right? In New York City? Oh, yeah. And not just New York City. I mean, we really are a a culture that is suffering from stress. Okay. Yeah. And I agree with that too. Now, would you say, you you said a culture suffering from stress, more so America than other places or mostly America? I would say the 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 way of the Western world uh, is really conducive to a nervous system that is constantly turned on um, on high alert. We're always on to the next thing. There's this ever present to do list in the back of our heads, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, I think most people, if they just pause in a day, there is this sense of I have I should be doing more. I've got to get to the next thing that's ever present. Right. Oh, I agree. Now you brought up nervous, like this, you said nervous system and you know, it, the stress has a huge effect on our health. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see and how stress affects people's health and you know, what you see in your line of work? Oh yeah. I mean, I think the, the latest statistics I was looking at is that 60 to 90% of all medical visits are stress-related. Um, and 75% of Americans say that they, are, they experience stress to an unhealthy level. And what happens when we're under stress is our nervous system actually shifts gears to what we call the fight-flight-freeze response. And so blood and energy and healing is diverted away from these maintenance systems of the body, things like digestion and reproduction, and cellular repair, and the immune system towards your major limbs, um, and that fight-flight-freeze response, which is really, really helpful if you're actually running from a tiger. 
but the types of stresses we're facing today are more psychological in nature. Um, And they're more ever present. It's the bills constantly have to get paid. Um, We have relationship stress. We have, um, we have stress really coming at us from all angles, all domains. And unless we have really skillful ways of recognizing how we're responding to these stresses, the nervous system stays in this high alert, which we call, it's actually called your sympathetic nervous system. Okay. So if your nervous system is stuck in the sympathetic, which it's obviously not supposed to, it should be balanced between sympathetic and parasympathetic, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's stuck in that sympathetic state, what are some of the problems that actually come out of this? Because you're talking about some of the statistics about people who are like needing medical care basically also off of stress-related problems. Are you, What are some of the problems that actually come from this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the short term, under stress, your muscles tighten and your blood pressure goes up um, and sugar pours out of your cells. And so you actually switch fuel sources so that often people are like, oh, I'm gaining weight because I'm stressed. And that that is actually true. Um, When you're stressed, your body starts to burn sugar and store fat. So some of the short-term consequences are heightened blood pressure, um, weight gain, uh, and, and the more sort of mild signs that you're under a lot of stress are this feeling of fatigue or mental fog, sleep trouble, food cravings. Um, and, and then over time, if we continue to live under a state of stress, is it, I like to say anything that is your, your genetic weak link um, can become a major problem right. because the body's not getting the resources and the, and the, um, the blood flow and the healing biochemicals to the parts of the body that, that need it. So the long-term effects of stress are, are serious disease. Um, anything from, you know, there's, there's good, um, research showing that stress is related to a lot of our digestive disorders. So from irritable bowel syndrome to, Things, some of our autoimmune disorders, infertility, heart disease. Uh, so it really has a, a cascading effect the longer you are under stress. Yeah, and you know, there's no secret that um, the average person is pretty stressed out, right? And the other thing that's no secret is the amount of health problems that we have in today's society. I mean, you talked about like, you know, heart disease and heart problems, you know, one in two people die prematurely of heart uh, disease. So that's clearly a really, really big problem. And um, so it's kind of like a cascading, a a cascading uh, issue that just, you know, one problem after the next, it sounds like from what you're saying, when people are stuck in a sympathetic uh, dominant state or a stress state. Now, you had mentioned sleep. How big of an effect does this have on one's sleep? Because sleep is a big problem for a lot of people. I know that a lot of people I work with have sleep trouble. Um, you know, during stressful times of my life, I've had sleep trouble. So mm-hmm. how how much how much does this play into somebody's quality of sleep at night, and um, how does it affect that? Mm-hmm. So one one stress hormone that um, is kind of a, a hot a hot topic is cortisol. I think many people are familiar with that. That term today, and if you think about um, what would 
be a good example. If you if you've ever been walking along on the sidewalk and out of the corner of you, your eye you you think you see something fuzzy that looks like a rat. And before you're even really aware, did I see that rat? You've actually jumped off the sidewalk and your heart rate is going and there's all this energy in your body. That's an example of the stress system really kicking into action and you're flooded with these stress hormones. And for many of us, when we're living in this state of chronic sympathetic activation and our cortisol levels are staying really high, cortisol is supposed to peak in the morning and it gives us that energy to meet the day and the challenges ahead. And it's supposed to taper off all the way throughout the day to the point of bedtime where then new hormones come in, things like melatonin, that get the body to prepare for rest and for repair and restoration. And because so many of us have elevated cortisol levels all day long, that natural process of, I, I love the, to think of the body as a test tube filled with chemicals because it is. And when this natural, um, these biorhythms aren't taking place, we stay in that revved up place, falling asleep is really, really challenging. And so then we lay in bed and then thinking keeps starts happening. And then mm -hmm. the thinking is, oh my gosh, I'm not falling asleep. I'm going to be tired tomorrow. I should be falling asleep. Why can't I fall asleep? Why can't I fall asleep? And our thinking continues to activate the stress response. So then we're getting adrenaline and we're even more awake. And yeah. so that insomnia is, is something that I see and I'm sure you see all the time. Well, I'll tell you, I run a lot of <clears throat> hormone tests on people and one of the things that I will check too is cortisol and I can tell you this that more often than not, people will typically have like an inverted cortisol um, graph basically. So versus it you know, being high in the morning and tapering off at night, um, it actually will be low in the morning and increase at night. So the same person that is having all these, this sleep trouble, um, they have an inverted chemical balance in their body that is basically not allowing them to sleep at night. Yeah, we, we really are. Um, we are so, I mean, it's really hard to attune to the natural rhythms of nature in the Western modern culture, modern world. And it becomes this really challenging um, downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you work with a lot of people in New York, you know, you still were saying doctors and lawyers, and you, you work with a lot of people who live really stressed out lives. Like, what are some of the things that is stressing them out? I mean, is it the job? Is it the family? Is it the, is it just pretty much everything together? Do they have too much on their plate? Like, what is kind of like this key ingredient that's causing so many people to be stressed out today that maybe wasn't there 10, 20 years ago? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I'd say probably the number one is simply this expectation of what we should get done in a day. Uh, from work obligations to then showing up as a, a good partner, a good mother, having perfect bodies, having perfect everything. Just this expectation of I should be some sort of superhuman. Mm -hmm. And I think whereas um, perhaps, you know, 50 years ago, there was stress, stress 
relieving um, practices were more built into the fabric of life. So things like coming home at the end of the day and being able to shut off work. There, you didn't have access to your whole work life when you got home. And slowing down to have a meal with good friends or family and um, also things like, I think, a major um, thing that religious tradition um, did was actually safeguard time to stop the doing, connect with what you most care about, and experience that more spacious sense of who you are and the grand scheme of, of life, which, is, which helps us not obsess on the small things as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's many challenges with, with religion as well, but I think we used to have some of these things more built into our lives. And now they're just not. Now it's like go, go, go. And if you have a spare minute, like make sure you check Facebook or Twitter or your emails or your texts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, what I see with so many people too. Totally. And and the thing about stress is stress itself isn't inherently – it's not a bad thing. Right. It serves it's, a purpose. Yeah, exactly. It gives us energy. It's just that in our world today we have no clear signal to turn off the stress. Mm-hmm. So the example I love – I love to give is if you've ever seen um, a deer in the wild, a deer eaten grass, and then a predator comes mm-hmm. and the deer freezes, right? It's in sympathetic activation, fight, flight, freeze. And then the predator passes and the deer does this amazing like head shake thing. It's like this. And it it's like shaking out its stress hormones and then it goes back to eating blood mm-hmm. and energy going to digestion and reproduction and it it doesn't stay in that frozen state right um, ducks do the same thing they might get into a, a conflict with each other and then they do this like shake thing where it's like okay we're done yeah back to, back to parasympathetic land and in our culture today we just we never get that signal that says hey you're safe you're enough mm-hmm Gotcha. Okay. So we talked about all this stress stuff and, and clearly one of the things that we need to do is, you know, find ways to relieve the stress and find ways to get over it and move on, maybe even drop some of the problems that we have throughout the day and, and know how to clear our minds and, you know, not strive for perfection, but also what is some of the things that we can do in order to help us relieve stress? Like I know that you work with so many people to help them relieve stress in, in, you know, through different exercises. So can you tell us what, what is, what is the key thing to do here? Mm-hmm. Well, what is really hopeful and great news is you can start at the level of mind or the body. And the, if, if the, if you listeners out there take away anything from this conversation today, it's to actually learn how to slow down your breath. Often it's really hard to start at the level of mind to say, oh, I just shouldn't be worrying about that or get over it. But if you can stop what you're doing and actually slow down your breath to about a rate of six breaths per minute, five to six breaths per minute, what you're doing is from the bottom up, the body is telling the brain we're safe. There is no tiger here that we need to run from. And then your biochemistry starts to change and then it becomes much easier to see more clearly. And so 
one of the very first practices I do with clients is teaching them how to do long, deep belly breathing. And in a moment during their day when they find themselves just caught in that obsessing over something or that the body feeling tight and that almost, it, it feels like you're tumbling into the future and you can't stop, is to just stop what you're doing, feel your body. So sitting in a calm, relaxed way, placing your hand on your belly and then letting your belly really softly expand all the way out. just like a balloon filling up. And then watch your breath leave the body and exhale all the way to the bottom of the breath, pulling the belly button back into the spine just a little bit. And then just relaxing and watching your belly expand, riding your breath all the way to the top of the inhale. And again, exhaling all the way to the bottom and pulling the belly button back into the spine just a little bit. And when we can stop ourselves in a moment of, of stress and, and do the, the breathing exercise, that's huge because right there you're already interrupting the habit of tumbling into the future and the thoughts going faster and faster and faster. Um, okay, so when you, so you're going to take big, um, well, first of all, you're going to breathe very slowly, but is it, this is a very deep breath then you're saying too, not like a shallow, shallow breathing. Oh yeah, really deep breath. So most of us are breathing from the upper chest all day long, these very short, shallow, I call them stress breaths. And there's a muscle underneath your rib cage called your diaphragm that actually moves like a parachute. And what we want to do is start to breathe in a way where we're really engaging the diaphragm. So you can call it deep belly breathing or you can call it diaphragmatic breathing. Um, and there's lots of different types of breathing exercises out there, counting your breath or holding the breath for a moment. My, my favorite one to teach is just a very simple inhale for a count of four. And then hold your breath at the top for a count of seven. And exhale through your mouth making the sound, I call it a shush breath, just making a very gentle shh for a count of eight. So you're inhaling, really filling the belly, letting it expand. Like the belly of a baby, really. Really getting nice and full and then hold the breath at the top for about seven counts and then exhale through your mouth for about eight counts. Okay, so when you're doing this breathing exercise, what is this doing for the body to help the body relax? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's shifting gears from that parasympathetic fight-flight-freeze response, the body saying, we're running from tigers, alert, to this, the um, parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest response, I like to call it. Mm -hmm. okay. So we're shifting out of that alert sympathetic system into the rest and digest parasympathetic system. And so a, a slow deep breath tells the brain you're safe. A relaxed muscle tells the brain that you're safe. And then actually the, the flow of blood in your brain will start to change. You get access when we're in, when we're really hijacked by stress, your lower reptilian brain really takes over fight, flight, freeze. 
And uh, when you slow down the breath and come back into a calmer state, you actually get access to the higher parts of your brain, your, your prefrontal cortex, that help us see more clearly, help us remember our values in life, see the supports in our life, see everything that's true and a, a broader, you know, when we're in stress, you really, your cognition narrows and you're, you're in that dark tunnel. <laughs> and when we can calm down the breath and the body and get blood going to the higher parts of the brain, your perspective opens back up. So you're not as reactive. Okay. And so I may have missed this and maybe you even said it, but how many times um, should somebody practice this a day? Oh gosh. So um, the, um, my response would be as often as you can. Okay. Um, but when I, when I have clients um, begin, I, I really do recommend having some sort of a formal practice so the medical term is called the relaxation response, and it was coined by Herbert Benson. And the, most of the studies were looking at people doing this practice for 10 to 20 minutes per day. And in, in the studies, what they had people do was not that four, seven, eight breath. It was just to slow down your breath, sit in a relaxed, calm way. And then at the very bottom of your breath, to whisper a word to yourself that connects you to something you care about. So it could be the word love, or the word God, or the word one, or nature, or the name of someone that you that you love. Um, and so for 10 to 20 minutes per day to slow down your breath and let thoughts come in and, and, and leave. So you're just not following your thoughts. You're not going to stop your thoughts, but you're not choosing to follow them. You're coming back to your breath in this word. And so I'll have clients start with just five minutes a day. That often feels like quite quite a long time if, if you're new to these types of practices. And then increase to about 10 minutes a day, up to 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, and what's really cool is uh, there's uh, studies showing that people who practice conscious relaxation this way for 10 minutes a day, um, about twice a day, see levels, changes at the level of gene expression um, regarding uh, stress hormones and immune system response. And so relaxation actually changes us at, at the substance of our bodies. Is, yeah, and that's huge. So that's, that's like an epigenetic change then basically. Yeah. And, and that, what that means is that our environment, we're actually changing our genes through um, our environment. So it sounds like with the breathing, you're you're helping your body go from a more of a from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state. And then also you're saying with the you're saying think of something that you love at the end, and that's kind of more of like a positive psychology part as well. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's it's um, you know when we're under stress, we're not. We're not remembering, we're not seeing clearly, we're not seeing the broad scope of our lives. And so calling to mind something that, that lightens your heart or connects you to something bigger than you or reminds you of what you really care about is a way of, of opening up our cognition again. And, um, and I love the, the term seeing clearly because when we're under stress, we're just seeing a very narrow scope of, of our lives. Right. 
And you know, it's interesting you see because you said you see, we see a very narrow scope. But when we're in the sympathetic dominant state, one of the things that happens, whether we like it or not, um, we start to think of everything bad that can happen. And that's just a that's a survival mechanism that human beings have built in. So when you're in the sympathetic state, you are in the stress response state, which is a survival mechanism. It was like, you know, it's the type of thing where our ancestors, it was club the tiger or die. And for us now, I mean, obviously we're not being chased by tigers and wolves and things like that. But um, one of the things that happens to us uh, now is that when we're in that sympathetic state and we're locked there, we think of like the unthinkable. We think of things that like everything bad that's going to happen, like that, you know, just all these awful things are going to happen that really the chances are like slim to none. But you just, you know, you like I said, it's, it's a it's a psychological state to uh, that, that's really a survival mechanism. And um, when that survival mechanism is in full force, you just think of everything negative. Everything's negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We call it uh, catastrophizing. Oh, okay. It's, it's a brain process that happens. Right. And really, you know, when I, when I work with clients, naming things is really powerful. So when you do start to go into that thinking of worst case scenario and obsessing on it to just name it like, Oh, this is catastrophizing. This is happening. And to not take it so personally, because it's actually, you said it well, it's a built in um, evolutionary survival system that was once helpful for our ancestors and is not so helpful for us today. And so just to name it like, whoop, there I go catastrophizing again. <laughs> right. Exactly. So could you, um, to really put this all together for us, can you show us the steps when, when you, when somebody starts catastrophizing, is that what the word was? Mm -hmm. okay. catastrophizing. When yeah. somebody starts doing that, what are the steps that somebody should go through, uh, in order to, you know, work through this problem and, and, you know, stop that stress response and go on in life, um, like a, like a happy human being. Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's, there's six steps and they, this takes practice. So I want to go through them, but then also just to say, be so kind and gentle with yourself as you're starting, um, to interrupt your stress response. Cause it doesn't happen overnight. It really takes practice. Um, so the first step is notice when it's happening. So when you're catastrophizing, just stop, name it. Oh, this is catastrophizing. Or, oh, as I like to say, um, I've been hijacked. I've yeah. just been hijacked. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The first is stop um, and notice what's happening in your body. So if we stop, you know, we want to drop out of the thinking, all the energy up in your head and obsessing and problem solving to come into the body and just notice, oh, tightness in my chest. Oh, breathing is fast. Oh, tingling in my fingers. So to bring your awareness into the body and then to ask yourself, what story am I telling myself right now? Which is really getting at what am I perceiving as a threat right now? What story am I telling myself? It could be, I'm telling myself, I got to get this done right now or else. Or it could be, if this doesn't happen right now, um, I'm going to get fired. And so often the stories that we're telling ourselves simply aren't true or are not seeing everything else that's also true. So what story am I telling myself is the second step. And then the third step is to slow down your breath. And so in that step, 
If you're alone, you might sit up and just close your eyes and inhale for a count of four, hold for a count of seven, and exhale for a count of eight. And do that, um, you know, it's about six times. If you're in a, in a large group and it's not a time where you can close your eyes, just simply placing your hand on your belly. Nobody can even notice that you're doing it. And fill your breath all the way into your hand, expanding your belly. And the research shows that about two minutes of long, deep breathing can start to arrest the stress response and move us back into that parasympathetic dominance, bring blood back to our prefrontal cortex so we can see more clearly. Um, and then the fourth step is practice feeling safe in your body. So what we want to do is tell the brain we're safe. We're not running from tigers. So to actually really feel your feet on the floor or feel your seat in your chair, ground yourself in your body. And then the fifth step would be to call to mind um, what is really true of your life right now. So all the support systems in your life, the people who are there, the resources that are available to you. Um, if you have a, a spiritual practice, calling to mind um, your faith. So really opening up that, that um, narrowed cognition that naturally takes place. And then the sixth step is to support yourself with really kind inner dialogue. And many of us... Um, are using really harsh, critical inner dialogue in an attempt to affect change. Like if I really just am, beat myself up enough, I will make the changes that I want to make in my life. And that actually activates the stress response and ultimately doesn't work. So just starting to get in touch with what is my inner tone? And we want to learn to support ourselves the way we would support a good friend. And yeah, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people are, they're harder on themselves. A lot of times, you know, they're harder on themselves than they are on anyone or anything in life. Oh yeah. I had one client, she's so sweet, where we we're just starting to talk about, she suffered from a lot of, um, digestive related stuff due to stress and, and insomnia and just that, that sort of sense of not being fully present in her life. And we started talking about, okay, so what, what kinds of thoughts are happening during the day? And she said, I have no idea. And I, I don't think I have that many thoughts during the day besides, you know, just working. And I said, okay, well, just start to notice. And she came back the next, next week and she goes, oh, my gosh, I'm beating myself up yeah. all day long. You're like, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so used to it. We're so used to it that, that we're not even aware and, and our, our thinking actually has the greatest effect over our nervous system than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, no, it's, it's huge. It's, it's huge, like really paying attention to the thought processes that go on. Are there any other things that people can do? So we talked about, you know, we talked about the breathing and you gave your six steps, were, which are really awesome for people to shut down that stress response. Is there anything else that you would suggest for people that they can do, whether it's like, you know, um, uh, uh, keeping a journal or, um, you know, setting goals or you know, 
you know, just okay. anything that can help create that positive psychology, shut down that stress response. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many things. Um, touch is really important. So getting regular massages is a really beautiful way of just moving the body into that parasympathetic system, uh, starting a meditation practice. So there's all kinds of great apps available. I love Budify um, is one of my favorite ones. Um, Stop, Breathe, Think is a great app out there. Um, any sort of embodied movement practice. So cultivating this relationship with, with your body and your ability to slow down your breath and feel safe in your body. So from yoga to Tai Chi or Qigong or any of the martial arts. Um, restorative yoga is such a beautiful gift to give ourselves. And then when it comes to the positive psychology aspects, really starting to turn your attention to what is going right in your life. Mm -hmm. So one of the easiest things you could do is start a gratitude journal which is at the end of your day to look back over the past 24 hours and write down three things that you're feeling grateful for. And it sounds silly. It sounds too easy. But what the research shows is taking that time to write down three things that, that you're grateful for and, and then a sentence about what it means to you or why it happened. So a, a moment of reflection um, helps with um, life satisfaction and well-being reduces um, re depression and I think with the study if if I'm um, I don't want to misquote but I believe the intervention was only a week so they had participants do a gratitude journal just for a week and saw changes six months later simply because we start to open our awareness to wait what is going right in my life mm -hmm. and um, it's particularly great for people who start to do that catastrophizing at night, which we're also good at doing it at two in the morning. Oh, <laughs> um, right. Exactly. Thinking of everything that's going wrong and could go wrong. So a gratitude journal is one of the most well-researched positive psychology tools. And what is like something that maybe you've seen in your life or maybe you've seen in a client's life that was on, on average that's like when they do this – this is a game changer or when you you've maybe even noticed in your life when i do this this is a game changer what are, what are maybe some of those things yeah um i can speak from my own experience i i mean often people ask how did you get into this field and from my own my own struggles with um anxiety and digestive disorders due to stress and the most important things that i've learned to do are First thing in the morning, actually, um, often we wake up and our alarm is on our phone. And so the first thing we do is we check our email and we're slapped in the face by everything we have to get done. And we kick right into that sympathetic go response. One of the most important things I've started to do is first thing upon waking, I still have a tendency towards anxiety. And so that first moment of waking, I'm like, oh, what do I have to do? Right. And it's to just put my hands on my body, to feel my breath, and, an, and a pause of gratitude. Here I am in this body. I'm in a safe bed, in a safe home. And the truth is I get to meet this day. I get to engage today. And just that shift for me has made a world of a difference. Um, 
And then the next thing would be, for me, a regular meditation practice. And there's so many different kinds of meditation available. Um, and for me, the mindfulness and the compassion practices were my entry point. Um, and, and then the other thing is um, social support. I think many of us don't have enough time for really meaningful deep connection during the day. And that's the ultimate stress relief, actually, is spending time with people that we feel close to and we really feel in connection with. Um, being in connection with others changes our biochemistry towards healing. And I think we have a lot of social interaction in our modern lives. I think we don't have a lot of that deep, meaningful connection, however. Right. <clears throat> I agree. And they're well, different. I, ha I have to say, Kaylee, that I would never... I would never in a million years think that you are stressed out ever. You seem so peaceful and calm by this conversation. I think you're going to have a hard time convincing the listeners of that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I can say is uh, meditation and the, the desire to heal is very powerful. And uh, yeah, if you don't believe me, you can ask my doctors and my family. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I tell you what, clearly whatever you're doing, it's working. So people just need to embrace that, right? <laughs> uh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. I have uh, many of my meditation students. I just, I, I, I love them so much. And they'll say, how long? How long do I need to keep at this? And the truth is for a lifetime. Yeah. It's a lifetime practice because one term that I love is evolutionary hangover. And we've got this brain and nervous system that's hypersensitive to perceived threat. And it's built into the fabric of our brains, all of us. So we're all suffering this evolutionary hangover that we have to learn how to deal with. <laughs> right. No, I agree. Yeah, it's a problem. And it's a problem for a lot of people. I mean, I, I work with patients all the time, high blood pressure is so common and all these things that come from um, just living a really stressed out life. So yeah, I, you know, it, it's absolutely necessary. And so I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all this stuff with us. I think it's going to really add value to the listeners on how to combat stress, how to calm their mind, how to balance their sympathetic and parasympathetic response in their nervous system. And, um, you know, I think you've added a lot of value and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, one last bit, um, for people with insomnia or having trouble sleeping, listening to guided meditations at night is really, as one of my first meditation teachers said, having trouble sleeping or insomnia is the greatest thing. You get really good at meditation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to take that time and to let go of the intention to sleep and just let it be a time of resting and meditating. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So. Yeah, thanks for that tidbit. We'll have to... Make, I'll, I'll even have to try that myself and see and see how it goes. Now, you said guided meditation. Where do you get that from? Yeah. Um, so actually, there I have some on my website. I don't know if, if that is available to, to listeners if you want to list it. But it's just my name, KayleePlace.com. Um, yeah, we'll put that up. We'll put that yeah, up under the show for listeners. There's some there. And then if you uh, – Budify, that app I mentioned, has guided meditations – that are wonderful. I really enjoy them. Insight Timer is another app that has guided meditations. 
And then truthfully, if you were to just go on and search guided meditations on YouTube, you'd find a ton. One of my favorite meditation teachers, her name is Tara Brock, T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H, and she has a beautiful website with loads of great meditations. Um, and yeah, there's so, that's a beauty. One of the beauties of technology is there's so many resources available. Yeah, no, you just listed a lot. So uh, thank you for that. Um, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate having you. And thank you for all of the input when it comes to the topic of stress. We all need it, I think, except for you. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, we appreciate that. And um, look forward to uh, you know using some of these different techniques and uh, trying them out. Oh, wonderful. Well, I... I wish everyone um, will just approach these practices with, with curiosity and gentleness and um, see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Kaylee. Thanks, Nick. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. Until next time, have an outstanding day.